hear the word of the Lord as written in the book of Romans, chapters eight, chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image, to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Nathan, the student ministries pastor here, and wanted to welcome you to a family worship Sunday and a national youth pastor Sunday as well. So um, I'm excited to be here with you all to share what God uh, has been showing me in this passage of Romans 8. I want to say a special welcome to all the families and kids here. Uh, if you didn't get your candy or sermon notes at the back of the sanctuary, you can go and do that. You won't be a distraction, uh, as long as it's okay with your parents. And uh, also know that you have an opportunity to show the adults in this room how to listen well. You have to do it in school all the time, and the adults are sometimes out of practice. So you have an opportunity to show them. Um, but I want us to do something, and, and kids, I want you to participate with us. Um, on the count of three, I want us all to just let out a groan. And if you're not sure what type of groan, think of the groan you give when your parents uh, tell you to stop playing video games or clean up your room or do the dishes. It's kind of like that, ugh, you know? So on the count of three, I want us to all just kind of let that out together. Three, two, one, ugh, right? So we groan, but... As adults, parents, we know that we're not immune from groaning as well, right? That we groan when things don't go our way. Maybe it's the coworker who hangs around our cubicle that can't catch a hint. Uh, maybe it's um, just the never-ending list of projects and chores that we continually have to fix the same sink over and over again, whatever it may be. Um, or maybe we groan because we have to roll out of bed early on a Sunday morning after staying up way too late watching a football game that didn't end the way we want it to. <laughs> or maybe that's just me. Um, but 
In these verses in Romans 8, Paul is talking about groaning. And so what a way to, you know, finish out the year of 2019 by talking about groaning, right? You might be wondering, why are we talking about groaning? Well, when the other pastors kind of uh, gave me this opportunity to preach on this Sunday, uh, they encouraged me to just teach from something that God has been teaching me. And since in early November, uh, we took our high school students, many of which are down in the second row here, on a fall retreat, we studied the book or the chapter of Romans 8. And so we're taking a portion of that and going a little bit further. And lest you guys think that you can fall asleep, I only gave you a 10-minute talk, and here we are. So you can still pay attention. Um, so Paul is talking about groaning, but he's doing so for a very particular reason. So I guess we want to start with asking the question, why do we groan? Why do we as kids groan, or why do we as adults groan? And I think we can kind of categorize it in three different ways. Uh, first, I think sometimes we groan just because things are, are a little off, or not the way things are supposed to be. Second, I think we groan because someone or something has afflicted us, right? Kids, how many times have you groaned to your parents because of something your brother or sister did? right? That we groan because something or someone has afflicted us. And third, I think we groan because we are not yet what we want to be. We long for something greater. That whether it's a dream, a career, a job, whatever it may be, maybe it's a financial stability, we, we see where we're at and we see where we want to be, we see the gap in between and we groan. And so these are some of the categories that Paul uses to talk about groanings. He begins in verse 18 of this section by saying, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's a pretty audacious statement by Paul. I mean, he knew a thing or two about suffering, all the shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments, yet he says, all these sufferings, I, it's not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. So how can Paul say that? How, how, do, how does he have the audacity to say that? Well, his hope is not in his present life, in his present time, and in his present situation. So my question for you is, where is your hope? I want that question to be percolating in the back of your mind as we study this passage together, because my prayer is that as we study God's word together this morning, we will come to a realization that despite our sufferings, rather through our sufferings, God uses that to transform us and conform us into the image of his son. So, as we study this, as we are anticipating what God is going to teach us, we see that Paul uses three groanings and one hope of glory to show us what he's talking about. Three groans and one hope of glory. Let's jump in. The first groan is from creation. Creation itself is groaning. In verse 22, Paul says this, For we know... That the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul gives us this vivid picture of what type of groan creation is in. It's in this 
labor pains of childbirth. Now, as some of you may know, um, I am the fourth of eight boys. And for those of you who didn't know that, now you do. Um, I used to be the tallest, uh, am no longer, though maybe with my new hairstyle, I might just be getting there. Uh, but something, I have something on all my brothers that they can never take away from me. And that is, I was the heaviest baby. All nine pounds, 14 ounces of me. Uh, I can't even imagine the amount of pain I brought my mother. And I'm happy to say that that was the last pain I ever caused my parents. Uh, everything else has been filled with exuberant joy and celebration. Uh, not quite, but more on that later. You know, I, I, childbirth is not something that I personally will ever experience, but it's something that I personally have witnessed with my wife. And I have been with her as she has labored through the pains of childbirth. And yes, there was a moment when our daughter Hazel was born where like, Everything just kind of melted away, and there was joy and happiness and excitement. But we don't see that in these verses, is that creation is in the labor pains of childbirth. There hasn't been that moment yet of celebration and excitement of a new birth. It's still in labor. It's still in pain. So why is creation in pain? Why is it groaning? Well, let's look back up at verses 19 to 21, where Paul tells us why creation is groaning. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of of the glory of the children of God. See, creation was subjected to futility and not willingly. Paul is reminding us that God created the world in perfect harmony, yet when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, creation fell with Adam and Eve. Now, instead of a perfect creation filled with harmony, uh, there's tornadoes and floods and droughts and famines, and the list goes on. So, because of the evil that it was subjected to, creation is groaning. However, Paul gives us this note of hope. He says that there will be a day when creation is set free from its bondage that it is currently in and obtains the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So let's try and picture this together. We know what a groan sounds and feels like, but as we think about creation groaning, we want to picture this, that it is waiting with eager longing. It was subjected to corruption, not willingly, and one day it will be set free from its bondage. So it's been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. I want you guys to participate with me for a second. I want you to close your eyes and think about what you picture when I say, it's the circle of life. Lion King, anybody? For the, for the rest of you, uh, you know, you'll be singing that song in the rest of your head for the rest of the day, so you're welcome. Uh, but as we think about the circle of life, we think about uh, the Lion King, rather. Sorry, not the song necessarily, but the movie. The most iconic scene in the movie, uh, if you've seen it, is, you know, the sun cresting up over the horizon and 
the animals are kind of all in unison going towards Pride Rock for the unveiling of Mufasa, you know, the next Lion King. And there's these celebrations, these joys, because this is their future king. In fact, the, the song itself begins in the Zulu language, and the first line of the song says, this is your future king, which, I mean, sounds like a Christmas song to me, if you ask me, so maybe next year. Um, but I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but if you know the story of The Lion King, uh, which, fun fact, was the first movie I ever saw in theaters when I was a kid, um, things don't go according to plan right, that Mufasa leaves town and creation, all of Pride Rock in the jungle, is subjected to the evil rule under the evil hand or evil paw, if you will, of Scar the lion, right? And he brings in his hyenas and they subject the world to evil rule and, you know, everything, nothing is in harmony, nothing is going, everything is dying, nothing is going according to plan and there's this groaning on behalf of all the animals as they await a new and better king. And I won't spoil it for you, but yes, that, that king does come back. So in a similar way, all of creation, when sin entered the world, has been waiting and waiting and waiting for the new king to come. Sin has subjected creation to suffering and evil, and it's waiting and waiting for Christ to come. He will return again to rule and to reign forever and ever. And we know that that's coming. So creation is groaning, but it's not the only thing groaning. We ourselves, the church, we also groan. Let's look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation is groaning, and we are groaning as we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. So there's kind of this twofold sense in which creation and we are groaning. On one hand, creation is groaning because it is subjected to evil and suffering, but it's also groaning in this longing, this anticipation, waiting for the future king. Two kind of similar types of groaning, and we participate that in that in a similar way. So in one way, we groan because we, like creation, have been subjected to evil and suffering. We experience physical pain and sickness, our loved ones suffer with illnesses for which there is no cure. We see families torn apart by divorce and abuse. We find ourselves wrestling with anxiety and depression and wondering, will this ever end? We experience miscarriages, cancer, terrible pain, and ultimately death. And we groan because of that pain. We groan because of that suffering that we have been subjected to. And this suffering is common to human experience. No amount of money, position, or power will exempt you from human suffering. Suffering might not look the same for all people, but it is common to the human experience. We all have suffered and felt pain. 
So we groan, deep groanings, because we know that this is not how it's supposed to be. But there is another way in which we groan. We groan because we know that the indwelling spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives within us, is proof of the glorious resurrection that certainly awaits us. Verse 23 says that we have the spirit as the first fruits as we await our future adoption. You know, the story of scripture ends with the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation ends with this picture of the new heavens and the new earth, the kingdom of God coming to earth, God making his dwelling with his people. And John says this in uh, those passages. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is how the story ends, that God makes his dwelling among us. God has moved into the neighborhood, right? But until then, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a promise, as a down payment for what is to come. Now, let me help us try and understand what exactly a down payment means. Maybe especially for those of you still living at home and don't have a car payment or house payment yet. Many, many, many years ago, way before I was as old as I am now, uh, I was maybe 9 or 10, and we had a family Christmas, as we always did. Open presents, had lots of joyful times and celebration, and all the gifts were unwrapped except one. And it was the last one my parents hand me this little envelope, and it had my name on it, and I opened it up, and it led me on a hunt, which led me to their bedroom closet, where waiting for me was a 21-speed, you know, dual braking system, chrome blue, new bike. It was the best gift I'd ever gotten, right? As, as a fourth in the line of boys, I got a lot of hand-me-downs, and to have a new bike was awesome. Now, the little piece of paper was not the bike. It was a promise of things to come. It was a promise of what was going to be realized, but was not the bicycle yet. So in a similar way, the Holy Spirit living within us in this broken world, this is not the bicycle. Living in suffering with the Holy Spirit within us is not the bicycle, but it is a promise of what is to come, that God will make his dwelling again with his people. So when we say the Holy Spirit is our down payment, it's saying God is making sure of his promise that he will fulfill it. Verse 24, Paul picks up this idea and talks about it in terms of a hope. That this thought, this um, anticipation of what God's dwelling with man will look like, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the hope that while our mortal bodies are fading away and heaven and earth are fading away, God will bring about his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth, and he will reign with his children forever. But we have not seen that yet. It has not happened 
yet. So why would I have reason to hope and anticipate a Christmas gift if I knew what it was back in July? Right? That in the same way as we anticipate opening presents and we're wondering what it is and we're like, God, what is, we, we, we ask God, what is it going to be like when you make your dwelling with man? We anticipate, we, we yearn for that to take place, for that to be realized. And as we wait, we wait with patience. It's like this eager patience that almost seems like an oxymoron. It doesn't quite make sense, but we're eager, but we're patient. We wait. We wait for God. So we groan, creation groans, and the third groan is the Holy Spirit himself. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. What does he have to groan about? Well, let's look at verses 26 and 27 and find out. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the groanings from the Holy Spirit are on our behalf. It is in our weakness that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, with groanings that words cannot even articulate. Paul couldn't even write about it because it's just it's too deep for words. So practically, how does the Holy Spirit help us in our weakness? I think Paul is hinting at, and we, we know in Scripture, that I think there's two ways that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I think the first way is that when we feel overwhelmed or overcome by our sin, we know that our faith and trust is in Christ, but when we need to approach the throne of grace, we are hesitant. We're hesitant to go to God. And in that weakness, the Holy Spirit drives us to prayer. One of the books that I've been reading periodically this past year is a daily devotional called Voices from the Past, which is a compilation of Puritan writings. So if you need um, something to pick up for the new year, it's a great one. But listen to what John Bunyan, uh, what is included from John Bunyan, uh, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, what is included from his writings on today's reading, December 29th. In talking about this verse, he says... He helps us in our weakness. When we have a clear vision of our sin and hesitate to come to God, the Spirit stays the soul and helps it to look up to God and persuade us to pray. Oh, how great a task it is for a poor soul that is sensitive of its sin and the wrath of God to say in faith, but this one word, Father. That one word spoken in faith is better than a thousand formal, cold, and lukewarm prayers. So when we feel overwhelmed by our sin and are hesitant to go to God, even though we know he loves us and he forgives us, the Spirit drives us to prayer in our weakness. But secondly, I think the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know what or how to pray. We want to pray, but we just we don't know how or we don't know what to say. 
when the pain, anxiety, suffering, depression, sinfulness of the world is weighing us down. We can't even think or come up with words to say the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He intercedes with those unspoken groanings. He intercedes in praying for us, and yet he does not pray according to our will, but he prays according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, as one of the three members of the Trinity, there is perfect communication between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no miscommunication. So when the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf to your Father in heaven, it is according to the perfect will of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't give armchair advice. He's not sitting there pointing out everything we're doing wrong, wagging his finger, saying, do this better, do this differently, try harder. No, he rolls up his sleeves and gets to work in our mess. He gets to work in our brokenness, in our weakness. So creation is groaning. It's waiting. It's anticipating. We also are groaning. We're waiting. We're anticipating. We're just yearning for Christ to come, and the Holy Spirit is groaning. That even when our weakness, when we cannot bring ourselves to pray, when we don't feel like we can approach God and his throne of grace, the Holy Spirit is there to prod us and remind us of the faithfulness of God. But Paul doesn't end with talking about these groanings. In fact, he's only just getting started because he's trying to show that while we see and feel and experience these groanings, it's all pointing towards something. So what is that hope that it is pointing towards? Let's see what he's talking about. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So let's break this down. You know, he's, and we know. This was never in doubt for Paul. And I hope that it's not in doubt for you. That God does indeed work things together for our good. Even the pain, even the suffering. And this verse, Romans 8, 28, is a powerful verse. Looks great on a mug. Looks great cross-stitched on a pillow, but we don't want to end there. It says so much more than just that. So if we want to rightfully handle the word of God, if we want to understand what God is communicating to us through his word, let's dig a little bit deeper. You know, we often connect this verse, Romans 8, 28, to stories in the Old Testament and maybe New Testament of how God showed his faithfulness to his people. Right, Abraham and Sarah didn't have any kids, but God made a promise that they would have children, and they eventually did, even in their old age. Joseph was sold into slavery and also imprisoned, but then God was faithful and made him the executive VP of operations in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Or maybe we use this verse in connection with the story of Job, who had everything stripped away but yet remained faithful to God. And in the end of the book, it says that God restored the fortunes of Job. And the book ends by saying, Job died an old man and full of days. All things work together for good. 
right? That's kind of sometimes how we connect these verses. And um, that's not to say that God isn't faithful, that he doesn't in this lifetime bring about good from evil, but that's not all he does. What he is actually doing through the suffering, through the pain, through the afflictions, through the hardships is so much more than you and I could ever imagine. You know, this verse isn't saying that just wait for God to fix it. Like, have faith, trust that in a week or two or in a month, just suffer through it, God will fix it. Or in the words of my daughter Hazel's favorite TV show, one of the songs is, um, when something seems bad, turn it around and find something good. Daniel Tiger, no one? Okay. Well, anyway, that's not what this verse is saying. It's not just suffer through the difficulty until something good comes around and then run with that. He is promising that he is going to use all things for his glory and our good. All things. Our sin, others' sin, illness, suffering, death, affliction. God uses all these things to conform us to the image and glory of Christ. And what better to conform us to Christ than bearing our crosses to follow him? You know, we receive this goodness of God flowing through, bearing our crosses, and yet the goodness flows from God, not from the suffering itself, right? That when a doctor performs a cure or administers a surgery, we don't turn and thank the scalpel. We don't turn and thank the antibiotic, but we turn and thank the physician because sin is our sickness and God is the physician. So when suffering and pain come along and God is able to use that to conform us to the image of Christ, we have the ability to turn and give thanks to God. And I know it might seem crazy or cruel that God uses suffering to teach us things. Like, why, why can't he use great things? Why can't he give me lots of things and then use those things to teach me? Why would he use suffering and pain? And while it might seem off, it's actually a just an overwhelming sense of God's grace and mercy that he uses even suffering for our good. I don't look and feel like Christ most of the time. I, I consistently struggle with sin. I struggle with anger and all these different things. I am not yet what I want to be. I want to be like Christ. I'm here. I see the gap in between but yet God says even the suffering and pain I feel he is using to bring me one step closer, bit by bit, slowly, one degree of glory to the next to conform us to the image of Christ. And if you want to take it a step further, what would life be like if suffering and pain didn't lead to anything? That if there was no good that God brought about in this life or the next, that it is a means of his grace that he uses even the difficult times to bring us closer to him. So verse 28 is this foundation of this tremendous hope and confidence that we have. 
we can be assured that no matter what trials we may face, God is using that for our good. And this immense confidence lays in these last two verses, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice that in these verses, it's God doing everything. God foreknew, God predestined, God called, God justified, God glorified. Our redemption was sealed from before time began and will end beyond time with our glorification. God's effectual call comes to each of us individually in different ways, but the end result is all the same, justification. Justification is a fun theological term meaning declared or made righteous. That even though we have sinned and broken God's commandments and his plan for our lives, he is able to look upon us, see the righteousness of Christ, and say, you are righteous. So the pain I caused my parents, unfortunately, did not end in childbirth. When I was 15 and a half, I uh, got my driver's permit, was excited to drive, and the story I'm about to tell, I've shared several times on Wednesday nights, so if you want all the details, you'll have to talk to the high school or junior high students here, but I'll give you uh, the fast version. I was excited to drive, I was super just like ready, I wanted to use it, my freedom, to hang out with friends, and got behind the wheel of the car, first time behind the wheel, and I totaled the family there into our neighbor's car, which was parked in the street. And they were in the front yard, mulching, and saw the whole thing. I was guilty as charged. Like, I couldn't talk my way out. There was no way that I could have said anything that would have convinced them that I didn't just do what I just did, right? Nothing I could have done. But my dad was also watching. And, you know, as, we, as I've been thinking about this message and thinking about the story, the, there's two things that um, Pastor Joey and Jeff have been reminding us of in the Advent series we just finished, that for salvation, for justification to take place, someone has to move and someone has to sacrifice. Someone has to move and someone has to sacrifice. So in that moment, my dad moved. He bore the shame, went over to the neighbors, talked to them, apologized profusely. He bore the consequence of having to pay to fix the cars. And he, well, maybe illegally, took the uh, penalty of the infraction on his account. He said, I was, I'll be the one who said I was driving the car. So if you look on my record, I am innocent of that infraction. I am innocent of that crime, not because it wasn't committed, but because... My dad moved, and my dad made the sacrifice. And in my eternal situation, my heavenly father moved, and my heavenly father made the sacrifice. That in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, God moved to bring us closer to him. He sent his son, Jesus, to justify us. So if I want to be declared innocent, if I want to be declared righteous, it's not by anything that I have done, 
but it's simply the result of our Heavenly Father moving towards us. So where is your hope? Is it in just climbing the ladder, finding the next school, the next job, the next career, trying to climb the ladder to have a great retirement? Or maybe your, your hope is in your ability to manage your situation and just kind of get by until something better comes along. Or maybe your hope is, is a faith in God, but it's a faith that has conditions. It's a faith that has demands. That, God, I will trust you completely, only just let me do this. God, I, I will trust you, but please don't ever, ever do this. Do you have a faith in God that puts conditions on him? So where is your hope? The reason I ask this is because I ache. Not just physically, although for someone my age, I, I'm surprised by how much I do ache. But emotionally, spiritually, mentally, I ache as I long and yearn for the redemption of our bodies. Right, that there will be a day when Christ comes again, God makes his dwelling among us again, and our aches will be no more. Our groans, the groans with us and creation and the Holy Spirit will be no more. It makes us want to just say and pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Right? That we yearn and we long because we see where we are, we see where God is telling us he will bring us, where he will come to us, and we see the gap in between, and we groan and we ache because it's not the way it's supposed to be. So all these groanings, all our pain points us to one thing, our hope in Christ. It is in this hope in Christ that we are saved. It is this hope that sustains us, that saves us, that transforms us, conforms us to the image of Christ, and one day will glorify us. When God makes his dwelling among us again. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as your children, groaning as we await for our adoption as sons and daughters of God. We groan with creation, and we, and we know that even in our weakness, the Holy Spirit groans with us as we wait and anticipate the day when you will make your dwelling among us again. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that has pierced through the darkness to bring your glory here amidst our suffering. So, Father, be with us. Use us. Use this church. Use each of us to be that light that shines in the darkness, that proclaims the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.